Today's episode brought to you by Lysol. Protecting Americans since 2020 from fear-mongering and everything else. Lysol, keeping you protected. <laughs> it is Tuesday, April 28th, 2020, and coming up, we're going to talk to Packers NFL beat writer Rob Domofsky, break down what happened with the Pack this weekend during the NFL draft, and also, Post Malone, did he just form a Nirvana tribute band? We'll explain. This is The Tune-Up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, Mr. I Learn More Bands that he's been in every single day. It's Benny Horowitz. I, I even do, to a point. <laughs> I'm literally discovering albums I've done in the past that... that I haven't heard in like decades that are reappearing online and stuff like that. I mean, it's something I should do. Someone like me should probably have like a Tumblr page or something listing like all the stuff they recorded on. I did write it in a text edit file not that long ago and was impressed by the girth of how many records I've played on. But I've, I've said this before on the podcast. I don't have a Wikipedia. I don't have a Tumblr. So, like, I'm like a slow roll kind of guy, you know? Just like every couple years, you're just going to find out some other thing I did. But you're probably not going to find out from me, you know? <laughs> that's, I mean, that that's the best way to do it. So, But, Benny, how was your weekend? Uh, quarantine week number seven, I think this is, or something it's like good, that. It's good, man. We're pushing through. I'm still trying to hit my 70% mark of staying positive. And uh, sane, seventy percent of the time. I figured that's like a nice cutoff for me. What's interesting? I watched the new Robert Eggers movie, The Lighthouse, oh, wow. with uh, okay. William oh, Defoe, yeah. Robert Pattinson, and uh, you know, you know, seagulls are a way of life where I am. They're they're everywhere. But not until two days ago did I find a seagull very ominous and a little terrifying. And now I'm kind of looking at him a little side eyed, waiting for him to come peck my eyeballs out and shit <laughs> you saw this film i saw part of it um i could i could i i couldn't get through it it's a ride man I oh tried. you couldn't get through it you gotta I, get to the end like like real real movie heads like love that movie this year and thought it should have won best picture i mean it's really fucking good it's it's strange uh and you do have to you know take in a different understanding of certain things to soak in the movie the right way um <laughs> But that being said, if you like Hitchcock and you like really cinematic things and um, it's shot in this incredible way where I heard that it's not only shot on 35 millimeter uh, film, but it was also shot on black and white 35 millimeter film and not done in post, which apparently left the set oversaturated with light. So I'm still looking into it, but it was a pretty fascinating movie. But that being said, I've been kicking my head around like a squirrel. Every time I hear a seagull make noise because they scare the shit out of me now. That was not the movie I was expecting you to say. I thought you, you were going to say, you know, the kids watched uh, uh, Trolls World Tour or whatever that movie is and stuff like that. So I was kind of surprised to hear that, you know, you went the the art house route with the kids. <laughs> we go back. Right now we're on Little Mermaid. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> We just uh, got to uh, fast forward the scenes with uh, Ursula. You know? <laughs> yeah, you keep doing those. You're going to have a hefty NYU film school bill. on. Dude, I'm <laughs> telling you, man, I forgot 
the how fucked up Disney movies oh, are, yeah. and how every single one does something to the human soul that it probably shouldn't. I might, I might reban Disney. I've never recovered from Lion King. Should I do this to my kids? I don't think so. All right, Benny. Let's start off how we've been starting off the last couple of weeks. Let's go this day in music history. Do, 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 do. Big thanks to a uh, straight no chaser for that Africa drop. <laughs> I just found that and I was like, why not? It's better than whatever we had before. <laughs> Much better jingle. Much better jingle. I like it a lot. So, Denny, yeah. on this day, it was kind of a thin day, April 28th. Not too much happened. But a really funny story happened. I'd like to see how much it's corroborated in real life. But apparently, uh, Black Sabbath's own Ozzy Osbourne, who was solo at this point, was on a plane returning from Boston, excuse me, returning to Boston from Miami. He apparently bought three rounds of drinks for the entire plane and sang Crazy Train over the PA system. That's fun. Pretty good. Pretty good. That's fun. La- last of the rock stars, you know, <laughs> like, like, uh, who does that anymore? Who takes over a plane? Are you even allowed or... You know, if this was in 1987, does an air marshal shoot your knee or something? This might have been the last uh, frontier of when people like Ozzy Osbourne could just be their true selves like this, you know? It's also, I was thinking, I'm like, Boston to Miami is like, what is that, three-hour flight? Maybe a little more? Three and a half? Yeah. So, you know, he might have had to be a little sauce before he got on if he was doing that much work. Exactly. It's It's not like an international, you know? Oh, man. That's pretty good. Well, on this day in 1999, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers received their start on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I'm surprised it took them until 1999 to get their start on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah, I mean, how does that work? Like, do they they got to give you a grace period or something? I don't know. I think who's I like, I wonder who's like the the most uh, the person who's had the most contemporary success who got one the quickest you know it has to do with money right and the amount of donations you give to something that's got to be right I have no idea but I know there's a lot of unsavory people on that walk <laughs> Tom Petty not being one of them what would the New Jersey equivalent of the Hollywood Walk of Fame be I don't know man it'd be like uh, like a sandwich. Yeah, maybe like a fat sandwich in New Brunswick or something. Yeah, maybe someone should do that, like the fat Bruce, the fat Frank, and do a uh, a grease truck inspired fat sandwich menu based on the artist. Someone should do this. It's pretty. I good. would vote for the domesticated dad down in Asbury Park. He makes a nice greasy spoon. That guy. It's good. It's really good. Now that kind of brings us to our lead story today. Post Malone had a great live stream over the weekend where he covered Nirvana. Uh, did every song but Smells Like Teen Spirit. Went for an hour and almost an, 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 an hour and, and a half. Actually went for an, an hour 47 minutes, I believe, to raise money for the World Health Organization. As we were recording this, they almost approached $5 million. Benny, there's a lot to take in here. Number one, that... Uh, Post Malone, punk rock star, and that band. He had the drummer from Blink-182 with them. Pretty good stuff. What was your take of uh, the events of Mr. Malone over the weekend? I mean, first off, I think if you listened to the podcast about a week ago, I called that this was going to happen. That some very rich artist was going to manage to get four human beings into a house, get real audio, 
and get something going out. I'm glad that Post Malone used a cool band and used it for the power of good, since Young Man, I think, has plenty of money. I think he's doing all right. And still but, drinks Bud Light. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, automatically I would normally be like, yo, nice, nice uh, ad drops in the back of every image on that thing, but they're raising money this time, so you can take as much as you can. So my first thought, you know, right when it starts, is I'm I'm immediately impressed and stoked on the production of the thing. It sounded great for what they're doing. Uh, big guitars, big drums. Uh, it was mixed cool. It had a live sound. And all things considering, um, I mean, if you knew the technical hoops that had to be jumped through to get that to sound the way it did, uh, have a pre-mix that was going live that actually doesn't sound terrible, having all of them connected. I mean, it's a feat, and it was yeah. pretty difficult, and it went pretty well. Uh, they were all on inner ear monitors, so they were all connected to each other through the house. Obviously had an audio center somewhere in the house. Uh, Travis Barker, I'm sure, was on a click, because that's what he does. Uh, one of the cool things, too, is like you even saw the, the realness of a live performance, because... Uh, even in the second song, the bass player stops and is like, oh, I had nothing in my inner ears. Like, how many times have I heard someone yell at a monitor guy off stage and just be like, I got nothing in here. There's nothing in the left. There's nothing in the right. So the fact that that happened there was pretty funny. You know, that's a little inside scoop if anyone sees. Like, if anyone's ever rocking an inner ear monitor just dangling off an ear, it's not for style. It's because something got fucked up. Right. And half the time, those are dangling out of ears because it's a pretty hard thing to master. I even like the guitarist who was in the other room making his own guitar switches. Literally had one strap, it seemed. So he's taking every guitar and putting a new strap on each one. So as far as that went, I really enjoyed uh, not only the live element of it, but their execution in the live element. I thought... It was obvious that Post Malone was like previously enamored with these songs. You know, you could totally tell if this guy just learned a bunch of Nirvana songs a couple weeks ago right. to do this. But it was obviously songs that he might have had to relearn, but at some point were natural to him, which was cool. Especially the way he was singing it. I liked the fact that, uh, you know, a guy like Post Malone could leave himself really exposed in a live environment because he uses a lot of audio stuff on his tracks when he records but you're doing Kurt Cobain you know and you have not only uh some wiggle room but maybe almost a responsibility to pitch some notes and make it a little more ethereal and a little more guttural and live like that's that's what he would have done um so all in all with the money um that they made the the sound the execution um, his general vibe through the whole performance, which I found open and nice and um, almost hopeful. You know, that guy's a little bit, you know, more of a pop star than people give him credit for. I mean, I watched him walk around the stage at New Year's with, uh, you know, Carson Daly and he does stuff like this. Like, he's a young guy and he's got a lot of that, like, he's got a lot of that uh, social charisma that I think is going to go a long way. And I think now that he's tapped into another world, it kind of opens a whole bunch of doors for him to do different kinds of records. Apparently, he has a background in this music anyway. And he even got a tip of the cap from old Courtney Love, who, who tweeted at him saying, great performance. Basically, from here on out, you have my 
you have my back. So uh, there, there wasn't, to me, much to find negative about it. I thought it was a positive event. There's one nerdy thing that I had an issue with, okay? I Maybe. hope to God he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> because I think Travis Barker is like a world-class drummer. I want to make this clear. He does things that I cannot do. He's technically more sound than most people. He's faster than most people. The guy is an animal. I want to make that clear. But when you're playing something like Nirvana, I thought they might have been better suited for like a real like dirty groove rock kind of drummer. He's almost too good. And there are parts in certain songs that I wanted a little more room and a little more Dave Grohlness and a little more like a little more gut and a little more feel and a little more and this is because I've played along to Nirvana records my whole fucking life. So I know them intimately, you know? Uh, so that was my only thing with that was like, there are a couple songs that maybe to me sounded a little stiff uh, because of that. But other than that, man, I know that's a, a, a wild and stupid complaint, but, uh, but I really thought it was a, a pretty great thing. How was it from your end? Oh, aggregate that, everybody. Please, for the love of God, just aggregate that. Um, no, I loved it, man. You know, I've I watched about uh, an hour of it. And, man, I just hope that... Okay, so those four musicians, they're quarantining together during this thing. They're making his upcoming album during this thing. Are we going to get, like, a like a punk record from Post Malone? Is, is he just going to say... Fuck this pop stardom, and and we're just gonna go down this path with him in the twenty twenties. I mean, I don't think it'll be a straight punk record, but I think it could have some interesting things. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some songs that kind of came out like uh, Travis Barker's project, like the Transplants, you mm -hmm. know, where it has that punk vibe, but it has like an electric feel. Still, could be released as pop music. Um, so I think it's gonna have a different energy. And it's clearly not going to be a straight pop masterpiece like his last album was. And I think it's going to have some more gut. I mean, he's literally got just a straight, like, rock, guitar, bass, and drummer going on. Like, it seems like he's making a full band record. Coming up next, ESPN NFL Nation Packers reporter Rob Domofsky. Don't go away. Did you just freshly bick that head? I yeah, saw your please. Instagram post. Well, so I had a beard for like, I don't know, a month in this whole quarantine shit, and I shaved it today, but um, I might go back to it. But yeah, the head is freshly shaved. What was Instagram? I saw, I saw you were like looking for a little advice on what to do. Where were, where were they leading you? I'm sure they gave uh, you awful, mean things to say. Back to the beard. People want the beard back, so. Crazy. The kids, the kids like the beard. The kids uh, initially hated the beard, and yeah. then this morning, this morning when I came downstairs, they were like, "What, what happened to the beard?" Is I'm like, "I thought guy? you hated it." So. <laughs> well, speaking of which, man, you got a couple kids. I know who are athletes and stuff. Yeah. All things considering, like, what's your day to day been like? They bouncing off the walls? It's nuts. They, I mean, my. Oldest one was had just finished his freshman basketball season like right. the week before everything got shut down and was going going to go into um, high school baseball. And my youngest one still had like – he's a seventh grader. He still had 
like three basketball tournaments left and right. they all got whacked and both of them would be playing baseball right now. I put it to you this way. I have spent more on sporting goods, sporting equipment that I never <laughs> thought like, you know, I bought a weight bench. Right. Oh yeah. The last day, the last day you could go into a sporting goods store. Yeah. I went and bought a weight bench and weights. Um, then I bought um, a, a hitting net, like where they can, you know, hit off a tee, hit sure, baseballs off sure. a tee. It's all, yeah. all, all shit they'd have, you know, in, at school or with their teams. So now you got the fucking mini Cal Ripken Academy back there, <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. And we and like our weather sucked. I mean, I know it's Green Bay, Wisconsin, but our weather sucked for like most of it. You know, now right, it's finally right. getting decent out. So. Well, I remember your wife but, being pissed about spending so much time driving to events like yep. every weekend and at least oh, yeah. it got spelled from that huh exactly exactly <laughs> that's great that's funny that you remember that that's funny yeah oh no i i didn't forget that lasted in my head where i was like wait i could buy all this sports stuff for my kids right. maybe, I, maybe i should back off you know yeah exactly maybe be better off uh tap dancing or something there's not many male <laughs> tap dancers you know no <laughs> what have you been doing to keep busy uh, i you know mine are little man i got two and four so i'm just like full-on kid entertainment and then uh running these two podcasts just trying to stay yeah. busy remotely yeah are, are you in jersey or where are you i'm not allowed to say yeah, okay i'm in an undisclosed beach location that i haven't told anyone could be cabo <laughs> san diego i uh I listened to when you guys had Brian on, and yeah. he said you said something similar. I, yeah. uh, that was Not like a couple weeks ago, I think, right? I yeah. did give away a hint today in the intro. I, I said that there are seagulls here, so mm. you know maybe someone could do a Google and at least uh, geographically pin me down a little based on that. Hey, we have se- we have seagulls off the Bay of Green Bay, so oh, I don't know. What I could be on a lake. Uh, it could be. or something else. <laughs> well, speaking of Green Bay, I know this is silly to start, but it's something near and dear to my heart. So, okay. you know, the very first time I drove to Wisconsin, I was 18 years old on tour with my band, The Low End Theory. I had about $20 to my name, got into Wisconsin, saw the first sign that just said cheese. Yep. Stop. I spent about 13 out of my 20 tour dollars <laughs> on like, <laughs> Four different cheeses with some crackers. I set them up on the dash like a little tasting station. And Cheese curds. Tell me you had cheese curds. Well, this is getting there. So on the same trip, I discovered the curd, the noble curd, which I'm now, Mm -hmm. you know, a huge fan of. And this is my biggest question. Most people know that curds are great, right? Denny told me that people in the Midwest are just outfitted with uh, home fryers to take care of their curds. Oh, yeah. So it's such a delicacy. It's not that hard to make. Uh, You don't need to be in Wisconsin regionally to create a curd. So in the same way of like pork roll in New Jersey or like chilaquiles down in like New Mexico, why is this gift (laughs) not given around the country? Why is it still regional? It's a great question. When my kids were little, uh, we went down to Florida and we went to like a bar for lunch. And my one of my kids says, "Where? Why are there no cheese curds on the menu?" I'm like, you're not in Wisconsin anymore. Uh, but I, me, I grew up in Illinois. Okay, right. and to me, Wisconsin was where everybody from Illinois went for the weekend in the summer. Like that was where okay. if you had like a boat or a cottage or something, 
So I know, I think I know probably exactly where you're talking about. Right over the border, there's a big cheese castle. Yeah, the uh, cheese castle. <laughs> it's called Mars Cheese Castle. Sounds right. That yeah. it, it is. And the 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 curds they somehow have that squeakiness to them if you yes. eat them when they're not fried. Now if you right. fry them, it's fry them. It's basically like a, a mozzarella stick, right? Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, it yeah. really is. Can't get. But too if you different. eat if you eat them raw, raw or whatever you want yeah. to call them, dude, the squeakiness of the cheese curd it's unmatched. So that's so that's where you can really tell a true Wisconsin curd to a knockoff curd, right? Because they even they. They like talk to you a little bit when you chew. They do. They speak. Yeah. They speak to you. Oh yeah, that's. A, and then there's you know there's the white curds, there's the orange right. curds, the yellow. Right. Uh, but yeah, if it's not if if you're not hearing that curd, it's not a Wisconsin cheese curd. He is ESPN <laughs> NFL Nation Packers reporter Rob Demosky, and we we've got Rob on the Nextel guest line. Nextel, because if we would have invented <laughs> texting instead of push to talk, we'd probably still be in business. Nextel, keeping dads everywhere connected, one beep at a time. <laughs> good drop we gotta get paid but <laughs> exactly right so rob <laughs> you, you said that you grew up in illinois you you now live up yep. in green bay are you a uh, culver's or a portillo's man oh portillo's i mean it's not even close uh there's a portillo's now and maybe it was there when you were living in milwaukee there's a portillo's in brookfield the oh, suburb no of milwaukee yeah uh but yeah i mean <laughs> chicago hot dogs chicago pizza Deep dish. I mean, put it to this way: during the whole this whole stay-at-home quarantine thing, we weren't we didn't go order takeout early on. My wife was just a little like freaked out by it, but I did order some Chicago food: uh, Portillo's Italian beef, uh, Lou Malnati's deep dish oh, pizza. It comes on uh, uh, in a foam cooler on uh, dry <laughs> ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was our first outside meal during the the stay-at-home order. That's a nice break to fast right there. <laughs> yes, <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to get into it. Now, obviously, one of the big things in the, the Packers draft was uh, the first round pick, Jordan Love. Was this yep. something um, that you had any inclination was going to happen or were you caught totally off guard? A little bit. But it's one of those things like before the draft, you, you know how you hear all this stuff and you never know what's real, what's subterfuge. Uh, but I had, had we knew there were reports all over the place that, hey, they were doing their work on quarterbacks. We asked the GM in February at the combine, like, hey, would you take a quarterback now, even though Rodgers is under contract for four more years and he's coming off a NFC championship game season? And he said, look, I was here. I came up in this organization as a scout. Uh, we had Favre, uh, we drafted Rodgers, and I know that my part of my job is making sure that you have the next franchise quarterback. And so that sort of took you back, like, wow. I mean, it was it was like less than two years ago that they paid Rodgers this you know, yeah. massive contract, uh, it was $134 million over four years, and the guaranteed money was, you know, $80 million or whatever it right. was. But I'm going to take you up to the day before the draft. I talked to somebody – who uh, knows the Packers organization really well, is, is in the NFL with another team, but said, he told me, and this is a quote, 50% chance they draft Jordan Love. Wow. And I, I didn't put it out there, you know, in any report at the time, because again, you never really know. And then the minute they traded up from 30 to 26, I put out on Twitter, 
I said, I don't know if this is what they traded up for, but talked to one reliable source who said that there was a 50% chance that they were going to take Jordan Love. So this could be it. And thank goodness I got that tweet out about, I don't know, 90 seconds to a minute before Roger Goodell uh, <laughs> went up there and, and, and announced it. So I got it. I At least I can say I had it out there. So you technically broke it. You technically yeah, broke I mean, it. I wish, you know, it was one of those things where I went back and said, man, I wish I would have had the stones to go with this like a day before. But you just don't want to be wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. What if know? it was wrong? Yeah. But yeah. listen, Rob, 90 seconds these days is about 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, it's an eternity, but it's all about the timeline. You made it. Yeah, you made it. But here's the thing, Benny. Like, um, I lived through the Favre, you know, saga. Like, yeah. I, I was, I covered the team back then, and at that point, like, Favre was always in the, well, maybe I'll play another year, maybe I won't play another right, year. Right. So when Rogers fell to him, and they took him, you're like, yeah, hey, sure, fine, you know, like, Favre could be done. It. It was only like a month before that draft that year that that um, Favre had even said he was coming back. They didn't even know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get why they took him. This is different, though, because Rodgers has said time and again that he wants to play till he's 40 and beyond. He idolizes uh, Brady and Drew Brees. I mean, those are guys right. he's patterned himself after. And he's got four years left on his contract. Know. You know. But on the flip side, if you're the Packers and you've had this unbelievable run of quarterback play – that, that's two guys basically yeah. since 1992. Sure. And your job is to keep this team, you know, to find the next franchise quarterback. And you think Jordan Love is the guy that's going to give you another decade plus of this kind of play? Then do it. You know, like I, I don't have a problem with that. What I think that people have a problem with, and I guarantee you, Rodgers himself has a problem with more right. than take more than taking Jordan Love. Where are my receivers? You know, right, right, like, right. Where are they? That was yeah. the thing that was the big stunner. I had said on, uh, I think it was uh, with Greenberg on on Get Up the morning uh, after the pick. I said, "Look, Rodgers isn't going to be happy about taking a quarterback, but if I'm the GM, as a show of good faith, that I still want to win now, not only would I take a quarter or a receiver in the second round, I might trade up to do it. Sure. And not only as a show. not only that, not only yeah, as a show of good faith. Not only sure. that, guys, they didn't take one at all." Mm. There right. were a record number of receivers. I think it was 36 receivers yes. taken in the draft. Zero by the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, yeah. And a number, uh, they still had a number of high-level receivers they still could have gotten in the second round. Oh, Somebody, yeah. real yeah. impact no player. Doubt. So, so uh, you know, when you're, you look in your crystal ball right now, which maybe now your head, oh, <laughs> hey, oh, I got it for now. Um, like, like. Jordan Love is obviously, you know, no one's projecting him to be a, a starter right away or even in no. a couple years. So, yeah, uh, with all that you just said, like, what do you think his reaction's going to be? Like, like, what's Aaron Rodgers going to do? Yeah, I mean, look, he's uh, he's there's no way he's happy. I mean, he hasn't, you know, said anything publicly, and my guess is that he'll play it pretty close to the vest. And when we do resume normal football, we get to talk to him. I guarantee you, he'll he'll say the right things but if you read between the lines you know with him he's a super smart guy he never says anything that isn't well thought out well calculated but you can always detect a little bit of tone and um and meaning with him rogers is super smart he's gonna he's gonna be super well thought out with what he says but you'll be able to read between the lines what he's really thinking and look i've talked to enough people that that have played with them that have 
coached with them that know him, he's not going to be happy. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. He wants to win. They were so close last yeah. year. They had an unexpectedly unbelievable season. I mean, no one thought they'd go 13-3 and three with a new head coach. And Rodgers didn't even play that well. Yeah. But they yeah. did. They got, yeah. ro- they got steamrolled by the 49ers. But after that game, Rodgers stood there in front of all of us and said, look, our window is open, man. Like, we showed something this year. And we've got a real window of the next couple, three years to, to win another Super Bowl. Yeah. What was it about Jordan Love that really stood out to them? Because, I mean, they, they went the quarterback route a couple years ago, a little later on with Deshaun Kaiser. What was it about Love that really uh, stuck out to Matt LaFleur yeah. and company? The GM, who, like I said, had been here with Favre, I think he sees some Favre in Jordan Love. Like mm. I, one, one, one NFL coach told me, that he's this guy that studied quarterbacks for 25 years. He said that Love is a gunslinging mf'er. That's what he called him. He is a gunslinging mother, you know what? And that's Favre. Like, I mean, Favre had an interception problem, but man, could he make the the, the freaking uh, unbelievable plays? And I think they see some of that in him. And and look, Rodgers is tremendous, but he's not. He's the opposite of Favre. Like. He's he's careful, accurate, never throws interceptions. Favre was wild, could make anything good or bad. And I think they see a little bit of Favre in Jordan Love. But they also see a, a 6'4", 225-pound Patrick Mahomes type of guy, too. Um, so there's, there's the, both of those dynamics at work. I, I, I'm curious about – I've heard a couple people talk about um... – how the the business structure of the Packers, you know, is obviously unique. I, you know, yep. even the uh, the woman who's uh, manages the Bouncing Souls is a share owner of the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> yes, you know, yes. I know about hey. this. Yeah, hey, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, so explain to me how the power structure and the way it works up top maybe dictated a decision on Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers, like in a way that an organization that's uh, run in a standard way would maybe not have allowed something like that to happen. Yeah. There's no, um, there's no Jerry Jones. Okay. Right. right? Uh, I'm just, I'm looking this up right here because I wanted to get the numbers right, but a total of 5,009,563 shares of stock are owned by 361,256 <laughs> stockholders, right. none of whom, receive a dividend on their investment. Okay. So it's essentially, I think the last time they did a stock sale, it was what, Danny, you might, you might've been around. This was like, what, like, it was probably like 250 bucks, right. Yeah, yeah. For a piece of paper. Um, but, but um, so they they have a board of directors, um, which is basically made up of a bunch of men, even in state, like Bud Selig, the former major league baseball commissioner, former Brewers owner is on the board of directors. Oh, uh, and then yeah. of that, they have an executive committee, of which is seven people. Six of those, again, are just business people. Like there's the guy who owns Aaron Snowblowers, which is the big snowblower company in Wisconsin. He's on the executive committee. Uh, but they hire one guy, Mark Murphy, who's the president of the Packers, full-time job, and he essentially acts as the owner. Um, but And he hires the general manager who hires the coach, or, or in this case, Murphy hired both. So it's a little different in that it's not a deep pocket owner who's, you know, a Dan Snyder, whatever, uh, John Mara, somebody like that who's just making all the all these decisions. So I think in some regard, you can think more longer term 
um, when we have a structure this way because it's not so impulsive. But essentially, um, you know, the GM and, and, and coach really kind of operate sort of on their own. And it's really interesting because you can imagine a Jerry Jones or somebody like that developing such a personal relationship with an Aaron Rodgers on the side where they're doing yeah. certain things in the, in the off seasons on their yachts and jets, whatever these massively rich people do together, yeah. that they'd have a relationship that wouldn't allow this to happen. Like I, I could certainly or, see or, or Bob Kraft with Tom Brady. Right. You know? um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just a totally, there's, there's 31 owners and then there's the Packers. Like right. it's just that there's, it's so different. So there's saying, nothing. I hate that the word unique is, is so overused and so misused. But in this case, it might be true. Yeah, I mean, especially that story I just heard about the uh, the the arson at the lake house. Uh, Isn't creating... that unbelievable? <laughs> oh my god, that was great! What a great Rockwood story. Lodge. I think oh, it's called Rockwood Lodge. So cool, yeah. so cool. So there's so much history. You know, Denny, I'm sure you've been up here, but Benny, you've probably never been to Green Bay, have you? No, I haven't. I, I well, most of the most of the places I've been in my life are. Only where the most people will come into a room. <laughs> Brian Fallon once told me that he considers, and he said this to me on Twitter, that he considers himself Brett Favre's long lost brother. <laughs> so you guys have to make a Jersey pilgrimage to Lambeau Field for some cheese curds, some uh, Packers uh, football. Um, no, you don't even have, no no instruments, no music, because nobody up uh. here has ever. Nobody up here has any good taste of music. I'm going to do that way. They don't give a shit. I haven't made my polka record yet, you know? I went to, uh, as you know, my music taste because I go yes. see you guys and whatever. I've been here 23 years, and I've been to one live show in Green Bay, and it was Lucero Wow. about, I don't know, maybe like eight or nine years ago. And it was in a, a, a hall that probably holds 900 people. And there oh. might have been 90 people in there. And that was when oh. I completely lost faith in the people of Green Bay as, as music uh, fans. Yeah, this so. might be why the booking agents tend to uh, gloss it Avoid over. It. I can see yep. why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why. Well, plus you get to play you go, you get to go play the rave in Milwaukee, which is like haunted, right? So we, we've got plenty of good venues that I, I know. You guys probably played Turner Hall, didn't you? Yeah, you played, played Turner. Turner. That place is nice. place is yeah. awesome. So cool. I know uh, – uh, last time I saw uh, Frank Turner, it was at the Paps Theater, not Turner Hall, which is not right. named after him, but some great venues in the city. I've yeah, even well, done the so. Paps. I think we did uh, one of those super cheesy uh, radio shows there. Okay. We opened for like yep. new metal bands. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great yeah. fun. But I want right. to bring it back to Green Bay quarterbacks. Okay. If you had to pick, like starting a team right now, would you take Bart Starr in 1966 – Brett Favre in 1996, or Aaron Rodgers in 2011. Oh, you can't do that to his mentions, man. You can't do that to his. <laughs> no, I, I, look, I the three think, kings, the three kings. That is so hard. I think I would take Favre, and here's why: um, the Lomb the Lombardi era teams. They had, I mean, they had so many Hall of Famers, have so many yeah, Hall of Famers sure. on that team. That I remember uh, the Packers, uh, one of the Packers historians, they've had a couple over the years, told me that if that somebody on like the Hall of Fame committee said if one more Lombardi era player ends up in the Hall of Fame, then they ought to kick Lombardi out because he might not have been that great of a coach because he had all these Hall of Fame players. Uh, the other thing is there, the, the local paper here, the Green Bay Press Gazette, which I used to work for before I worked at ESPN, 
uh, on the hundredth year of the Packers last year, did a hundred players in Packers history, and Star was like eleventh on the list. Oh, he wow. wasn't even in okay. the top ten, which okay. caused some controversy. I don't know Good if see. I had him yeah. quite that low, um, and I'm pretty sure they had Favre ahead of Rodgers. Um, and, and I don't know. You're splitting hairs when it comes to which one's the better quarterback. It's like sure. it's more of a you know an opinion, a, a taste. You know, do you yeah. like? Do you like Thai food or do you like Mexican food? You know, whatever your taste is. They just, they're different quarterbacks, but both sure. unbelievable. But I'd go with Favre because, my God, that guy was so much fun to be around. He was an everyman and you knew everything about him. He just, people just gravitated to that guy. Sure. Um, not saying Rogers' teammates don't love him. I'm sure they do. But there was something about Favre that he just, the, the guys played for him. They loved him. Um, there was a magic about him. He, he turned this franchise around. Look, Favre might lose me that game by throwing a pick six at the absolute sure. worst time. Uh, I remember the playoff game in St. Louis when they were playing the greatest show on turf. Favre threw six picks, and I think two or three of them were, return, were pick sixes right. returned for yeah. a touchdown. Rodgers would never get you beat like no. that. He just, it would never happen. But if you had to win a game, I might take Favre because he might just be able to pull off something unbelievable. Although Rodgers has that he couldn't win down the stretch, it's gone. A couple of years ago in Dallas, he threw an unbelievable pass to Devontae Adams for a game winner with like, I don't know, 10 yeah. seconds ago, and it was unreal. Uh, there was a game down in Miami where Rodgers pulled off the fake spike play, like the Marino fake right, spike, right, right. and threw it, and they win the game. So now that I'm talking about this, maybe I'm talking myself talking into, out of it. <laughs> talking myself out of Favre and into Rogers, but well, let but me talk you back to... into it. I can talk you back into it. Okay. So as a as a you know good nearly two decades of being an Eli Manning apologist, there's <laughs> one thing I can say about a quarterback who doesn't care about throwing interceptions. Like they would never make half the throws that these other guys would make that turn into big plays. And when you're yep. in those. 50-50 situations and tight games, you need yep. someone to just put it over the top. And someone who's too smart maybe doesn't yep. take enough risk. And, like, mm -hmm. the Eli Manning, like, exactly. That's a terrible yep. ball. A terrible <laughs> ball that yep. could have been terrible. picked by yep. 12 different guys on the field, but it yep. turns into one of the greatest catches in history. Yep. You know, so I, I think Brett Favre, he was electric in 96. You can't, yep. you can't deny that. He was. The lasting image, though, is 07 against the Giants, overtime, <laughs> NFC Championship game. Uh, Favre's got a check down right over the middle to, I think it was Ryan Grant running back from New Jersey. Right. Uh, and instead, he, tr he tries to go on the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last pass Brett Favre ever throws as a Packer. But if I'm going down, down swing. And then he went to the Jets. How weird. Did <laughs> <laughs> I ever tell you, I don't know if we have time for this, but I the, uh, try to make it quick. They trade him. The whole summer is just chaotic. You know, he wants to come back. When they trade him to New York on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, the the Jets are playing the the Browns in Cleveland like the next day, and that's where Favre is going to meet his new team. So my editor says, get on a plane, get to Cleveland, cover this story from that standpoint. So me and a photographer from our paper, we race right from the airport to the stadium downtown Cleveland, and we get there like five minutes before Favre's going to do his first news conference with, with you know, as a Jet. And we yeah. get to this little tiny room in the in the bowels of, of the Brown Stadium, and we get there and we're like, show our credentials, and they're like, this is for New York media only. 
says. And, I, and I'm like, what the heck? My photographer pulls, opens his wallet, pulls out like a $20 bill, slips it to the, the, the usher, the, the doorman, the security guard, lets us in. The only seats right in the front row. I'm there with all the, the Jets beat guys, Rich Samini, like the, yeah, the king good. of the Jets beat guys, yeah, Mark yeah. Cannizzaro from the Post, all these you know legendary New York writers who I've looked up to forever. Walk in, they don't know me from whatever. Walk in, Favre sits down, and he looks at me, and he goes, "Rob, what are you doing here?" <laughs> and all, everybody in the room's looking at me, and I, I had this like, I didn't know what to say. The, I had this George Costanza jerk store moment where afterwards I thought what I should have said is, Brett, what the hell are you doing? You did. Like, that, that's what I, that's what I wished I had said was Brett, what, why, why are you doing this, man? What are you doing here? Yeah, what do you do? Just hit him with a marble rye after that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've heard all about the NFL pushing back training camp and, and all that stuff. What have you heard yeah. about a timeline of uh, next season getting started? Yeah, nobody really knows. So, like today, Monday, as we're ta- as we're doing this, the Packers started their virtual off-season workouts. Um, you know, which essentially amounts to um, you can have Zoom meetings with coaches. Um, you can have workouts. You know, if you have equipment, I think they can even send treadmills and workout equipment to these guys if they don't have it. Now, if anybody can afford it, it's 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 these guys, but. That's basically it. We're all in a holding pattern. The, the NFL schedule is supposed to come out like the early part of May. And from what I was told, it's going to be a regular schedule, but you'll be able to read between the lines and see where they can lop off parts of it and it still be a competitive, equally balanced schedule. So I don't know if that means all the division games are going to be toward the end or everybody's going to have the same amount of home games and road games, the, you know, every other week kind of thing. But you know, the, the, the teams the, from the Packers standpoint, everybody I talk to there is proceeding as if there's going to be a season, proceeding as if training camp's going to start on time. But as you guys know, I mean, nobody really knows. So um, the closest thing I can compare this to is the summer or the spring and summer of 2011, which was mm-hmm. the lockout. Now, a right. totally different circumstances, but nobody knew when football was coming back. Players couldn't be in the facilities. The Packers were coming off their Super Bowl year. The NFL made an, an exception that the players could get their rings. They could have like a Super Bowl ring ceremony in June. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically that was all they could do. And we didn't know. So this is it has that feel, although certainly this is a much more serious um, life issue than, than that was. But that, the only thing I can compare it to is that um, even covering the NFL in the days after 9-11, uh, the Packers were supposed to play the Giants in New York the Sunday after 9-11. Um, that game got pushed back to the very end of the season. Yeah. But even that, it was, you know, things got obviously back to normal much quicker. I, I just, you know, in my 20-some years of covering the NFL, I've just never seen anything like it. Brave new world, man. Yeah, <laughs> it is. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. We just got to so. keep our head up out there and just keep it shaved. I actually feel that's probably good to for less things to infect. Less things hey, I, to, to yeah, get I, on I your gotta, body, you know? I got to go. I'm I, had a, to, I had to buy I'm a walking sponge makeup. over here. Look, yeah, you are. It's I, not I just smart. Have to buy more, I got to buy more makeup for TV, so it take the shine off. <laughs> That's the only yeah. deal. You can't tell Lee Savalas on ESPN. No. All right, Rob, I really appreciate you coming, man. Guys, it was awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love what you're doing. Uh, let's get back to sports and live music sometime soon. Awesome, soon Rob. Enjoy that omelet bar, man. I miss it. 
<laughs> the best, be, the best thing about a noon game at Lambeau Field is the, exactly. the, the omelets. Make your own omelets. Oh fuck! I gotta get to this place. You do. <laughs> Big thanks to Rob Domofsky there. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at thetuneuphq. You can follow him on Twitter, at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, anyone who doesn't like Dennis Rodman, you're just a fucking norm. Get over it. <laughs> but besides for that, everybody love everybody. Have a great week. That Spotify stock is dropping. This has been The Tune-Up.